Matthew 17 and 1. You're going to have to help me tonight. I, I've got something burning in my spirit. I just help me get it out. The Lord has just been dealing with me. Just, I'll be honest with you. Y'all know me. I'm not the most spiritual guy, okay? And I mean that in a good way. But I could not quit praying all afternoon. It was just, I just felt this, this wonderful presence of God come in and I began to pray for, I began to pray for brother and sister Jean and her family and this church. And I felt such a power come in that trailer. I was laying back there on my bed just praying and talking to God and God began to put some things in my spirit. Just, you have to help me. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a, an high mountain apart. Whew. That's tough to read right there. And was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias or Elijah. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved son. In whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Mark 9 and 2. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow. So as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. Now I wanted to read both because there's really no variance in them. And the Lord's been dealing with me about this. And we are so blessed because we see him in his glory. And I want to preach a little bit about it. We, we see him in his glory. And I want you to Pray with me right now. I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this place. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I'm so thankful that you, you have chosen us, God. We are the chosen ones. Out of all the men and women in the Old Testament, God, you've reached down and you have chosen us. God, we're your bride. God, we seek your face. God, I feel your anointing in this place, Jesus. Now help me, Jesus. 
God, I can't do it unless you help me, Lord. God, I have to be anointed or I can't do this, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, God, touch my mind, touch my body, touch my voice, Lord. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, you may be seated. The children of Israel, after 430 years of bondage, they are finally free from the Egyptians. Now they are now camped between Migdal and the sea. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they realize that they have let all their free labor leave. And they realize, guess what? They're about to have to go to work. Now, I didn't even read the book of Job for a long time. I thought it was Job when I first got in church. <laughs> I was trying to stay away from that one. <laughs> Just kidding. So Pharaoh, the Bible says, takes all of his chariots, all of his captains, and his horsemen, and all his army, and he goes out after the Israelites. Now, when the people see that the Egyptians are marching against them, they become afraid. And you know what they tell Moses? I guess because there wasn't no graves in Egypt, you brought us out here in the wilderness to die. So then Moses says unto the people, now I want you to hear me for a minute. Sometimes the man of God has to get up and speak against the things that's coming against the church of God. Come on, I'm so thankful for a pastor. I, my pastor's James Lumpkin who has, when things were looking bad for me and my family, he stood up and he spoke against some things and I was able to make it through them. Come on, you need to be thankful for the man of God that's over this church because there's nothing like the man of God in your life. And if you're submitted and take authority, there is things that are happening in you and your family that you never dreamed of. One of the most powerful concepts that there is in the Word of God is submission. And submission means that you don't undermine everything that the pastor preaches about. Come on, you don't question everything he says or everything he does. You understand that true anointing flows down. And if you're submissive to your pastor, that anointing that flows down will flow down and begin to cover you and your family. So Moses speaks to the people. Exodus 14 and 13. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Come on, church. The man of God has been fasting. The man of God has been praying. The man of God has been travailing for you. Don't be against him, but hold him up and get behind him as he speaks against your enemy. Come on, he's about to walk out into the battlefield. That old devil that's trying to tear your marriage apart. Look out, the man of God is about to speak. Come on, that sickness that's in your body. Look out, the man of God is about to speak into it.
I'm so thankful for my pastor. The Lord sends the angel of God that had been going before Israel. And he sends them towards the Egyptians. The pillar of cloud that went in front of them, all of a sudden it goes and covers their back. And it leaves all the Egyptians in darkness. So Moses stretches forth his hand. And God sends an east wind. And he divides the water. And they walk through on dry land. Now, I read this commentary. Got to be careful of those things. My dad told me that this Bible has shed a lot of light on those commentaries. <laughs> what he told me. He said, you don't need none of that stuff. But this guy was Dr. Fahrenheit or something, I don't know. Had so many degrees, you know. Oh, now you get it. Yeah, it's one of those Social Security jokes. You catch it after 65. But this idiot, goofball, whatever, said that at that time in history, that there, and the place they were, there was no Red Sea. I'm like, really? I got a, bi- a map in my Bible. It's got them little, you know, little bitty steps where all the people went. Y'all remember that? And he said it's actually the Reed Sea, and it's only six inches deep. Yeah, he said that there's no way that they walked across on dry land because it's only six inches. I went, you goofball, drowned a whole army of people in six inches of water. The Bible says they walked through on dry land, and God looks through the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire at the Egyptians, and he took off the chariot wheels. I love God. I'm just going to tell you. He peeks in at them and goes, you idiots. Boink. And there they are in the middle of the river. They don't even have any wheels. They don't even have a wheel to spin. And that's when they realize that they're in trouble. Now, they should have realized this a long time ago when the firstborn dies and the gnats and the flies. And, the, and they said, uh-oh, the Lord is fighting for them. And God tells Moses, stretch forth your hand again over the waters. And they cover the army. In other words, they cover their enemies of the Egyptians. And the word tells me that not one of them escapes. Come on, I told you last night, there comes a point when God says, I've had enough. I'm going to put your enemies under your feet. I'm not just going to beat up on them. I'm going to destroy them. They're never coming against you again. I'm going to put your feet on their neck. Three months through bitter waters. Three months through the Amalekites in the wilderness. Three months and they arrive at Mount Sinai. And God calls Moses up out of the mountain. And he says, tell the children of Israel, Exodus 19 and 5. He says, now therefore if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. 
God comes to Moses in a thick cloud so the people around would also be able to hear him when he spoke so they would believe. He tells Moses, sanctify the people because he's going to come on the third day. Woo! Man, I love the third day. Come on, it was the third day that Abraham and Isaac went to the mountain. Come on, it was the third day that God came and talked to Israel. And it was the third day when he burst out of the tomb. He's not dead. He's alive. He is risen just as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Exodus 19 and 11. And be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that ye go not up into the mount or touch the border of it. Whosoever touches the mount shall be surely put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mountain. Now if you will notice, God tells Moses to set boundaries to the people. He didn't tell him this because he was a legalist. I'm so sick and tired of hearing these wimpy preachers try to water down the Word of God. Come on and preach that all we are because we believe in holiness is legalist. When the Word tells me to be holy. He said, be ye holy because I am holy. God doesn't intend a woman to look like a man or a man to look like a woman. And we're so afraid to preach it in our churches. I'm telling you right now, I've made up my mind. They can send me home, but I'm going to preach what God tells me to preach. If God says in this word not to wear it, don't wear it. If he says don't cut it, don't cut it. He didn't put boundaries because he wanted everyone to do just what he said. I want everybody to do what Moses says. But he did it for their protection. I am tired of people asking me, do you think this is a heaven or hell issue? I wish I could punch them. I really do. I haven't got to punch anybody in a while. I started to a couple times. And Sandra said no. One night I told a guy messing with us, I said, look, Jack, don't let the tie fool you. I'm going to tell you right now, that's it. Let me tell you what a heaven or hell issue is. Let me just get it out. You know, I don't like sugarcoating it. If the man of God, your pastor, under the anointing and the authority of God, he is your shepherd. You are his sheep. The Bible never tells the sheep to go find another shepherd. I'm just going to tell you. The sheep never walk up and go, well, shepherd, I don't like the way you lead me to this creek. I'm going to go talk to this other one. 
It doesn't. We can talk about it later if you want to. And he gets in this pulpit and he begins to preach. And he's under the authority of God. And you are stubborn and you rebel against what he has just preached about. You just made it a heaven or hell issue. Because the Bible says stubbornness is idolatry. And rebellion is the same sin as witchcraft. Come on, you want to know a heaven or hell issue? You worship idols. You want to know a heaven or hell issue? You go into witchcraft. Come on, God needs his people in this last day to realize that the man of God is stepping into battle for them. And when he preaches, you need to stand up and say, preach it, pastor. Come on, preach it harder. I need my family saved. That's the enemy's biggest weapon in these last days is division and disunity. God tells Moses his laws and he tells him his feast and instructions for when they arrive at the promised land. So Moses writes them in a book and he builds an altar and he takes the blood of the sacrifice of an oxen and he puts half of the blood in a basin and half of the blood he sprinkles on the altar. You know what he does? He then reads the book to the people, the Word of God. And he sprinkles them with the blood so they would be in a blood covenant with the Lord. Come on, I'm glad I'm in a blood covenant with Jesus Christ. Then Moses, Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. Them guys were tough fellas, wasn't they? They had to be be named Nadab. Listen, I used to get teased because I'm Nicholas. Thank God I wasn't Abihu. (laughs) I mean, I can stand here right now and make some jokes about Abihu. I'm just going to tell you. And the 70 elders... They go up into the mountain, and the Bible says they see God. They see him in his clearness. They eat and they drink. And then God calls Moses to come up into the cloud, and he and Joshua go. Moses tells the rest to tarry. And on the seventh day, he is called up, and the glory of the Lord, the Bible tells us, was like a devouring fire on the mountaintop. And Moses was there 40 days and 40 nights. Now, while Moses is on the mountain... God is instructing him and writing the Ten Commandments and instructing him on the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. He tells him about the priesthood, the order of the priesthood, how their garments are supposed to be, their duties that they're supposed to perform, and their judgments. Well, the people begin to wonder. I wonder what's taking the preacher so long. Good grief. Did he go fishing? I would. Look at Mac Todd smiling. Where's he at? What's he doing? Instead of being where they're supposed to be with God, they just went through the book. God just, Moses just read what God told them. They just went through a sacrifice and a blood covenant. And, less, and in 40 days, they're already backslid. And so they go to Aaron. This is Moses' brother, his right-hand man, his buddy. And he says, all right, we'll make a golden calf. Boy, he was real spiritual, wasn't he? And everyone is dancing naked around it. 
and saying, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. So God tells Moses, you better get down the mountain because those folks have lost their mind. He's wanting to just go ahead and just wipe them out. He said, the Israelites have forgotten the covenant that they have made with me, and they have already made an idol and are worshiping it. Now, part of that thing that Moses read to him in the book was to not take any gold or silver and make any idols. There they are. They're doing exactly what they said they wouldn't do. So God wants to destroy them. Moses intercedes on their behalf, and the Lord spares them, and the Lord repents for what he was about to do to those people. Woo! Tell you what, the Lord was mad. So Moses heads down the mountain with the tablets of stone. Joshua says, what in the world is that loud noise coming from the camp? Is that somebody at war? And Moses says, no, it sounds like singing. And they look, and they are singing and dancing naked around this golden calf. And for that moment, Moses gets his eyes on the other people all around him. Come on, he just walked out of the presence of God. But he turns around and he starts looking at what everybody's doing. And he gets angry and in a fit of rage. In a moment, he destroys what God has just given him. How many people and how many times, instead of having our eyes on God, we get our eyes on the idol worshipers and the people who are out of the will of God anyway. And the very thing that God is trying to give you, you destroy because of your carnality and you don't want to get into the presence of God like you should be. You better be careful who you follow. Come on. You better be careful which one of these slick guys you listen to preach a word that's not the gospel. Come on, I don't want anything to distract me. I don't want to lose out with God. I don't want to lose what He has given me. I don't care what happens on my right. I don't care what happens on my left. I just care what's happening in front of me. I don't want to lose out with Him after all that He's done for me, after all that I've been through. I don't want to lose out. The judgment of God falls. God tells Moses to go to the land that he promised. He says, I'm going to send an angel to drive out your enemies, all those kites. Everybody was a kite back then. Mahaney kite, Gina kite, Todd a kite. Everybody was a kite. So Moses takes and pitches the tabernacle tent. And he goes into it. Exodus 33 and 8. Is this all right? And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people, this is all of Israel, rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people, they saw the cloudy pillar. This is the manifestation of God. Stand at the tabernacle door. 
And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Moses is in the tabernacle. The pillar of God is at the door of the tabernacle. And Moses begins to ask God to show him his glory. But I want you to see something in this last verse of Scripture. It says, Joshua, the young man, the son of Nun, would not depart out of the tabernacle. You know why? It wasn't good enough that Moses was in his presence. Joshua wanted to be in his presence. Come on, it wasn't good enough that his mom and dad used to be in the church, but Joshua wanted more from God. I don't care what your timeline is. I don't care what your hereditariness is. It doesn't matter. What matters is being in his presence. We got to get hungry enough. Moses asked God to show him his glory. He had been in the presence of God for weeks now. But he wanted more from God. He wanted to be in his glory. We've got to get a hunger for the presence of God. Come on, sometimes we just have to get to a place where we tell God, I'm not leaving till I get into your glory. Come on, I was telling Brother Gene and Brother Mac today, when I was a little boy, I was very sick. And the doctor came and said, we need to take him to the hospital. He has hepatitis. I couldn't move. And my dad said, give us till in the morning because we didn't have any money. You know, somebody broke in our house. We mugged him. We were so poor. I mean, we used to eat cereal with a fork so we could save the milk. I, I could barely move my head in that dark room, and I, all of a sudden I seen the light come through as that door opened, and my big old daddy come in. He took his coat off, and he laid it over at the foot of my bed. He literally climbed underneath my bed. And he said, God, I'm not leaving until you heal my boy. Come on, this was all night long. That man of God laid under that bed. I know you're the healer. I know you're the way maker. I speak healing into my son. Eight, nine, ten hours he laid under there. God, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving until you heal him. The daylight came and I sat up in my bed. And I said, I'm hungry. That's a sure sign of Mahaney's feeling good. Man, I went in there and fell in on some groceries. Went out playing with the other kids, and the doctor said, he can't be out there playing. He's too sick. You see, my dad knew how to get into his glory. Come on, you, we, 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 we're, we live in such a fast-paced society. You know, look at me. I'm body by McDonald's. I love fast food. If your iPhone's not big enough, you get the bigger one. Look at my iPad. Y'all can read it out there. I wish my phone was this big. Hello. If you push a button and it doesn't happen immediately, you're like turning your phone off, you know, doing all this stuff. 
Come on. And what has happened, come on, we have gotten used to everything being so fast that we forgot what it's like to tarry before the throne of God. Some things only come by tearing at His feet and waiting on God to speak to us. Exodus 33 and 18. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon the rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now I've read this passage, I don't know how many times. Anybody read this? And I've heard this preached many, many times. And I'm just going to be honest, it's one of those deals that kind of confused me. Because how was Moses able to see any part of God? Because he had no physical form or attributes. He, the Bible says, God is a spirit. But God said he would make all of his goodness. All of his goodness. Not just a part, but all of his goodness passed before Moses. So he puts him in the cleft of the rock and covers him. And Moses sees his back parts and not his face. Then I realized, now this was with the help of God, that it was Moses who wrote Genesis. Exodus and all the rest of the books. Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. They were first-hand accounts. They were written firsthand. But Genesis was the history of the world up until that time. So the backside of God was all the history of the world up to that time that God wanted man to know. So he had Moses write down every little detail, every little thing, because he took him and he showed him all the back parts of God. Because the front side hadn't been revealed yet. But 2,000 years ago, at a place called Bethlehem in Judea, the front side of God was revealed. He robed himself in flesh. He stepped out of glory into humanity. And he became the lamb that would be slain, that would take away the sins of this world. The true glory of God was finally revealed that day to a sinful world in need of a Savior. This God, Jesus, walked this earth 33 and a half years preaching, teaching, healing the sick, casting out the demons. Here was the front parts of God finally revealed to mankind. Sent here to die on a cruel, rugged cross for our sins, tied to a whipping post, beat for our healing. Then Matthew and Mark record how Jesus brings Peter, James, and John to the mountaintop. He is transfigured. His face begins to shine as the sun. 
And his clothes were white as light because he was the sun and he was the light. Standing with him is Elijah and Moses. Moses only asked three things of God. He said, tell me your name. God said, I am the I am. He said, show me your glory. He said, I can only show you my back parts. He said, let me stand in the promised land. At that very moment, every prayer that Moses had asked God was revealed and answered to him in that moment. He found out who the name of God was. Come on. He's seen the front parts, his face. He's seen his glory. And he was standing in the promised land. I want you to know, church, your prayers never die. Come on, those prayers of your grandmother, they're still burning red hot. Those prayers of our forefathers, they're still burning red hot. A lot of those prayers that my dad prayed, he didn't see until he stepped into glory. But if God can bring Moses and Elijah to see some things, I believe he can pull back the curtain. Say, come here, Charlie Mahaney. Look down there in Salem, Illinois tonight. That prayer that you prayed for that boy, I'm answering it right now. He's in my glory. Second Corinthians tells us the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. Moses was finally in his glory. You see, we are blessed. We're the church of the New Testament. We not only live and see his glory, but it lives in us. It lives in us. Acts 2 and 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. And it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Come on, church. Come on, Salem. Let's get in His glory tonight. Come on, this is not just some Thursday night, but this is a Thursday night where we can get into his, his glory. We got the chance to see his face. The face of God is in the glory of Jesus Christ. Come on, he's hope for the broken. Come on, he's hope for the addicted. Come on, where there's peace, where there's not peace, he will bring peace. The Bible says he's the almighty God. He's the heavenly father and he's the prince of peace. I'm so tired of the devil trying to steal our peace. Let's all stand. As I lay in, 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 in the trailer today praying, I said, Lord, everything that I've been led to preach almost this week has been about overtaking enemies. Putting the enemy under our feet. So what's going on? God, I need you to show me tonight what's going on. Because you see...
There's some enemies that's come against you. I don't go around. I don't talk to the pastors. When we talk, it's usually about all kinds of other stuff. And I don't, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but I don't really like all those, all that stuff, people calling you out, telling you what color your wallet is. and You know, I believe that edifies that man. But when I feel something in the spirit, what I do is I begin to preach. And I let the anointing, the Bible says the anointing will lift that burden to destroy that yoke. I don't have to walk up to you and say, well, you're doing this, this, and that, because the anointing when we preach the Word of God is going to take and break that yoke off of you. So it's no accident that we have been putting things under our feet. Last night was powerful. I'm going to tell you, and I will tell you this, somebody last night should have come up here and got prayed for, and they didn't. But it's not too late. I believe that we, in this revival, have, have taken some territory from the enemy. I told my wife, I thought I'd seen one of my little heathen grandkids' head bounce through that door. But I, I told my wife about the story of the guy that told his sister to get up out of the, out of the wheelchair. Whew. Man, now come on, how powerful is that? I mean, that's Book of Acts stuff, y'all. I mean, if that don't get you excited, your pilot lights out. You need to. Some of the most powerful services I've ever been in is at this church. I remember a prayer line we had one night. That's when everybody got the Holy. Remember that night? Man, God was, people were falling down. I'm like going, whoo. I was afraid to touch myself. You know, I might fall down. And this church has done nothing but grow. People are talking about Salem, Illinois, where I go to places. I say, where you at, Calvin Jeans? Man, I heard they got it going on over there. Talked to two preachers today, and they, they said the same thing. The devil's afraid. Of what you're going to do. I mean it. The Lord showed me last night while I was preaching that there's going to be churches in this town. That you're going to baptize whole churches in the name of Jesus Christ. They may not be worshiping under this building, under this roof. But I'm telling you, this church is going to baptize whole churches. Not old apostolic churches. I'm talking about Church of Christ. I'm talking about Baptists. I'm talking about Methodists. Come on. What is it? That's holding you back individually. Not what's holding your brother back. Not what's holding your wife back. What is holding you back. 
from being in the glory of God like you should be. See, uh, we were talking in the old days. It's the first two weeks, y'all remember, was for the revival was for the church. Well, we got to get the church ready. I mean, two weeks, 14 nights. And they didn't get upset when the preacher would say, come on, what do you got in you that you need to get out? Come on, I'm here to tell you tonight under the unction of the Holy Ghost that if you will push out the things that are holding you back, it may be, you know, personal convictions are different. There's things that I do that he don't have to do. And you need to find out what it is that is holding you back from being who God wants you to be. Come on, God wants every man in this place and every woman in this place to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. God wants every man in this place and every woman in this place to lay hands on the sick and let them recover. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As the musicians come. Now this is going to be a, a different altar service. Lord, help me put this into the right words in Jesus' name.